Chapter 41 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Spring Arrangements at Astoria. Various Expeditions Set Out. The Long Narrows. Pilfering Indians. Thievish Tribe at Wishram. Portage at the Falls. Portage by Moonlight. An Attack. A Root and a Robbery. Indian Cure for Cowardice a parley and compromise the dispatch party turned back meet crooks and john day their sufferings indian perfidy arrival at astoria as the spring opened the little settlement of astoria was in agitation and prepared to send forth various expeditions several important things were to be done it was necessary to send a supply of goods to the trading post of mr david stewart established in the preceding autumn on the okanagan the cash or secret deposit made by mr hunt at the cauldron lynn was likewise to be visited and the merchandise and other effects left there to be brought to astoria a third object of moment was to send dispatches overland to mr astor at new york informing him of the state of affairs at the settlement and the fortunes of the several expeditions the task of carrying supplies to okanagan was assigned to mr robert stewart a spirited and enterprising young man nephew to the one who had established the post the cash was to be sought out by two of the clerks namely russell farnham and donald mcgills conducted by a guide and accompanied by eight men to assist in bringing home the goods as to the dispatches they were confided to mr john reed the clerk the same who had conducted one of the exploring detachments of snake river he was now to trace back his way across the mountains by the same route by which he had come with no other companions or escort than ben jones the kentucky hunter and two canadians as it was still hoped that mr crooks might be in existence and that mr reed and his party might meet with him in the course of their route they were charged with a small supply of goods and provisions to aid that gentleman on his way to astoria when the expedition of reed was made known mr mcclellan announced his determination to accompany it he had long been dissatisfied with the smallness of his interest in the co-partnership and had requested an additional number of shares his request not being complied with he resolved to abandon the company mcclellan was a man of a singularly self-willed and decided character with whom persuasion was useless he was permitted therefore to take his own course without opposition as to reed he set about preparing for his hazardous journey with the zeal of a true irishman he had a tin case made in which the letters and papers addressed to mr astor were carefully soldered up this case he intended to strap upon his shoulders so as to bear it about with him sleeping and waking in all changes and chances by land or by water and never to part with it but with his life as the route of these several parties would be the same for nearly four hundred miles up the columbia and within that distance would lie through the piratical pass of the rapids and among the freebooting tribes of the river it was thought advisable to start about the same time and to keep together accordingly on the twenty second of march they all set off to the number of seventeen men in two canoes and here we cannot but pause to notice the hardihood of these several expeditions 
so insignificant in point of force and severally destined to traverse immense wildernesses where larger parties had experienced so much danger and distress when recruits were sought in the preceding year among experienced hunters and voyageurs at montreal and st louis it was considered dangerous to attempt to cross the rocky mountains with less than sixty men and yet here we find reed ready to push his way across those barriers with merely three companions such is the fearlessness the insensibility to danger which men acquire by the habitude of constant risk the mind like the body becomes callous by exposure the little associated band proceeded up the river under the command of mr robert stewart and arrived early in the month of april at the long narrows that notorious plundering place here it was necessary to unload the canoes and to transport both them and their cargoes to the head of the narrows by land their party was too few in number for the purpose they were obliged therefore to seek the assistance of the Kathlasco indians who undertook to carry the goods on their horses forward then they set the indians with their horses well freighted and the first load convoyed by reed and five men well armed the gallant irishman striding along at the head with his tin case of dispatches glittering on his back in passing however through a rocky and intricate defile some of the freebooting vagrants turned their horses up a narrow path and galloped off carrying with them two bales of goods and a number of smaller articles to follow them was useless indeed it was with much ado that the convoy got into port with the residue of the cargoes for some of the guards were pillaged of their knives and pocket-handkerchiefs and the lustrous tin case of mr john reed was in imminent jeopardy mr stewart heard of these depredations and hastened forward to the relief of the convoy but could not reach them before dusk by which time they had arrived at the village of wishram already noted for its great fishery and the knavish propensities of its inhabitants here they found themselves benighted in a strange place and surrounded by savages bent on pilfering if not upon open robbery not knowing what active course to take they remained under arms all night without closing an eye and at the very first peep of dawn when objects were scarce visible everything was hastily embarked and without seeking to recover the stolen effects they pushed off from shore glad to bid adieu as they said to this abominable nest of miscreants the worthies of wishram however were not disposed to part so easily with their visitors their cupidity had been quickened by the plunder which they had already taken and their confidence increased by the impunity with which their outrage had passed they resolved therefore to take further toll of the travellers and if possible to capture the tin case of dispatches which shining conspicuously from afar and being guarded by john reed with such especial care must as they supposed be a great medicine accordingly mr stewart and his comrades had not proceeded far in the canoes when they beheld the whole rabble of wishram stringing in groups along the bank whooping and yelling and gibbering in their wild jargon and when they landed below the falls they were surrounded by upwards of four hundred of these river ruffians armed with bows and arrows war-clubs and other savage weapons 
these now pressed forward with offers to carry the canoes and effects up the portage mr stewart declined forwarding the goods alleging the lateness of the hour but to keep them in good humour informed them that if they conducted themselves well their offered services might probably be accepted in the morning in the meanwhile he suggested that they might carry up the canoes they accordingly set off with the two canoes on their shoulders accompanied by a guard of eight men well armed when arrived at the head of the falls the mischievous spirit of the savages broke out and they were on the point of destroying the canoes doubtless to a view to impede the white men from carrying forward their goods and laying them open to further pilfering they were with some difficulty prevented from committing this outrage by the interference of an old man who appeared to have authority among them and in consequence of his harangue the whole of the hostile band with the exception of about fifty crossed to the north side of the river where they lay in wait ready for further mischief in the meantime mr stewart who had remained at the foot of the falls with the goods and who knew that the proffered assistance of the savages was only for the purpose of having an opportunity to plunder determined if possible to steal a march upon them and defeat their machinations in the dead of the night therefore about one o'clock the moon shining brightly he roused his party and proposed that they should endeavour to transport the goods themselves above the falls before the sleeping savages could be aware of their operations all hands sprang to the work with zeal and hurried it on in the hope of getting all over before daylight mr stewart went forward with the first loads and took his station at the head of the portage while mr reed and mr mcclellan remained at the foot to forward the remainder the day dawned before the transportation was completed some of the fifty indians who had remained on the south side of the river perceived what was going on and feeling themselves too weak for an attack gave the alarm to those on the opposite side upwards of a hundred of whom embarked in several large canoes two loads of goods yet remained to be brought up mr stewart dispatched some of the people for one of the loads with a request to mr reed to retain with him as many of the men as he thought necessary to guard the remaining load as he suspected hostile intentions on the part of the indians mr reed however refused to retain any of them saying that mcclellan and himself were sufficient to protect the small quantity that remained the men accordingly departed with the load while mr reed and mcclellan continued to mount guard over the residue by this time a number of the canoes had arrived from the opposite side as they approached the shore the unlucky tin box of john reed shining afar like the brilliant helmet of euryalus caught their eyes no sooner did the canoes touch the shore than they leaped forward on the rocks set up a war-whoop and sprang forward to secure the glittering prize mr mcclellan who was at the river bank advanced to guard the goods when one of the savages attempted to hoodwink him with his buffalo robe with one hand and to stab him with the other mcclellan sprang back just far enough to avoid the blow and raising his rifle shot the ruffian through the heart in the meantime reed who with the want of forethought of an irishman had neglected to remove the leathern cover from the lock of his rifle was fumbling at the fastenings when he received a blow on the head with a war-club that laid him senseless on the ground in a twinkling he was stripped of his rifle and pistols 
and the tin box the cause of all this onslaught was borne off in triumph at this critical juncture mr stewart who had heard the war-whoop hastened to the scene of action with ben jones and seven others of the men when he arrived reed was weltering in his blood and an indian standing over him and about to dispatch him with a tomahawk stewart gave the word when ben jones levelled his rifle and shot the miscreant on the spot the men then gave a cheer and charged upon the main body of the savages who took to instant flight reed was now raised from the ground and borne senseless and bleeding to the upper end of the portage preparations were made to launch the canoes and embark in all haste when it was found that they were too leaky to be put in the water and that the oars had been left at the foot of the falls a scene of confusion now ensued the indians were whooping and yelling and running about like fiends a panic seized upon the men at being thus suddenly checked the hearts of some of the canadians died within them and two young men actually fainted away the moment they recovered their senses mr stewart ordered that they should be deprived of their arms their undergarments taken off and that pieces of cloth should be tied around their waists in imitation of a squaw an indian punishment for cowardice thus equipped they were stowed away among the goods in one of the canoes this ludicrous affair excited the mirth of the bolder spirits even in the midst of their perils and roused the pride of the wavering the indians having crossed back again to the north side order was restored some of the hands were sent back for the oars others set to work to caulk and launch the canoes and in a little while all were embarked and were continuing their voyage along the southern shore no sooner had they departed than the indians returned to the scene of action bore off their two comrades who had been shot one of whom was still living and returned to their village here they killed two horses and drank the hot blood to give fierceness to their courage they painted and arrayed themselves hideously for battle performed the dead dance round the slain and raised the war song of vengeance then mounting their horses to the number of four hundred and fifty men and brandishing their weapons they set off along the northern bank of the river to get ahead of the canoes lie in wait for them and take a terrible revenge on the white men they succeeded in getting some distance above the canoes without being discovered and were crossing the river to post themselves on the side along which the white men were crossing when they were fortunately descried mr stewart and his companions were immediately on the alert as they drew near to the place where the savages had crossed they observed them posted among steep and overhanging rocks close along which the canoes would have to pass finding that the enemy had the advantage of the ground the whites stopped short when within five hundred yards of them and discharged and reloaded their pieces they then made a fire and dressed the wounds of mr reed who had received five severe gashes in the head this being done they lashed the canoes together fastened them to a rock at a small distance from the shore and there awaited the menaced attack they had not been long posted in this manner when they saw a canoe approaching it contained the war-chief of the tribe and three of his principal warriors he drew near and made a long harangue in which he informed them that they had killed one and wounded another of his nation 
that the relations of the slain cried out for vengeance and he had been compelled to lead them to fight still he wished to spare unnecessary bloodshed he proposed therefore that mr reed who he observed was little better than a dead man might be given up to be sacrificed to the monies of the deceased warrior this would appease the fury of his friends the hatchet would then be buried and all thenceforward would be friends the answer was a stern refusal and a defiance and the war chief saw that the canoes were well prepared for a vigorous defence he withdrew therefore and returning to his warriors among the rocks held long deliberations blood for blood is a principle in indian equity and indian honour but though the inhabitants of wishram were men of war they were likewise men of traffic and it was suggested that honour for once might give way to profit a negotiation was accordingly opened with the white men and after some diplomacy the matter was compromised for a blanket to cover the dead and some tobacco to be smoked by the living this being granted the heroes of wishram crossed the river once more returned to their villages to feast upon the horses whose blood they had so vaingloriously drunk and the travellers pursued their voyage without further molestation the tin case however containing the important dispatches for new york was irretrievably lost the very precaution taken by the worthy hibernian to secure his missives had by rendering them conspicuous produced their robbery the object of his overland journey therefore being defeated he gave up the expedition the whole party repaired with mr robert stuart to the establishment of mr david stuart on the okanagan river after remaining here two or three days they all set out on their return to astoria accompanied by mr david stuart this gentleman had a large quantity of beaver skins at his establishment but did not think it prudent to take them with him fearing the levy of blackmail at the falls on their way down when below the forks of the columbia they were hailed one day from the shore in english looking around they descried two wretched men entirely naked they pulled to shore the men came up and made themselves known they proved to be mr crooks and his faithful follower john day the reader will recollect that mr crooks with day and four canadians had been so reduced by famine and fatigue that mr hunt was obliged to leave them in the month of december on the banks of the snake river their situation was the more critical as they were in the neighbourhood of a band of shoshones whose horses had been forcibly seized by mr hunt's party for provisions mr crooks remained here twenty days detained by the extremely reduced state of john day who was utterly unable to travel and whom he would not abandon as day had been in his employ on the missouri and had always proved himself most faithful fortunately the shoshones did not offer to molest them they had never before seen white men and seemed to entertain some superstitions with regard to them for though they would encamp near them in the daytime they would move off with their tents in the night and finally disappeared without taking leave 
when day was sufficiently recovered to travel they kept feebly on sustaining themselves as well as they could until in the month of february when three of the canadians fearful of perishing with want left mr crooks on a small river on the road by which mr hunt had passed in quest of indians mr crooks followed mr hunt's track in the snow for several days sleeping as usual in the open air and suffering all kinds of hardships at length coming to a low prairie he lost every appearance of the trail and wandered during the remainder of the winter in the mountains subsisting sometimes on horse meat sometimes on beavers and their skins and a part of the time on roots about the last of march the other canadian gave out and was left with a lodge of shoshones but mr crooks and john day still kept on and finding the snow sufficiently diminished undertook from indian information to cross the last mountain ridge they happily succeeded and afterwards fell in with the walla wallas a tribe of indians inhabiting the banks of a river of the same name and reputed as being frank hospitable and sincere they proved worthy of the character for they received the poor wanderers kindly killed a horse for them to eat and directed them on their way to the columbia they struck the river about the middle of april and advanced down it one hundred miles until they came within about twenty miles of the falls here they met with some of the chivalry of that noted pass who received them in a friendly way and set food before them but while they were satisfying their hunger perfidiously seized their rifles they then stripped them naked and drove them off refusing the entreaties of mr crooks for a flint and steel of which they had robbed him and threatening his life if he did not instantly depart in this forlorn plight still worse off than before they renewed their wanderings they now sought to find their way back to the hospitable walla wallas and had advanced eighty miles along the river when fortunately on the very morning that they were going to leave the columbia and strike inland the canoes of mr stewart hove in sight it is needless to describe the joy of these poor men at once more finding themselves among countrymen and friends or of the honest and hearty welcome with which they were received by their fellow adventurers the whole party now continued down the river passed all the dangerous places without interruption and arrived safely at astoria on the eleventh of may End of chapter forty one